0: There are not enough people who are willing to open that door for that woman, for that young mother, for that person who doesn't have the pedigree that says they deserve that job. Because there aren't people willing to open that, it doesn't matter how hard someone is working, that door is, being, is still being shut in their face because of an implicit bias they hold. I think we all have to continue to do that self-discovery and that self-work to ensure that we are not looking at women as less than, but really as an opportunity to learn a different perspective.
1: Hey, Construction Nation. Welcome to Lead with Trust. I'm Sue Dyer and I've been on a three-decade journey to figure out how to make sure our construction projects succeed and produce some extraordinary results. My Trusted Leader journey has led me to work on over 4,000 construction projects worth over $180 billion. In this podcast, I'm here to teach you everything I've learned One thing I know is that it starts with the leaders of the businesses and organizations that come together to build a project. If that's you, let's get going. Hey, Construction Nation, this is Sue Dyer, and you're listening to another episode of Lead with Trust. And this is part of our Bringing Women into Construction series, which we are doing in 2023 as our one episode per month. And this month, it's really interesting because uh, Kelly Lee has worked for several construction startups and some that were, well, when they were all starting up, I suppose I would say in tech. And yet she has such a profound point of view on the overall industry. So I really enjoyed interviewing her and I think that you're going to enjoy her perspective too. One of the most profound things that she said uh, was that when you're dealing with the industry, And if you are a person in the industry, no matter where you are, if you are not opening the door for someone else to come in, then you are essentially closing the door to that person. So that really got me thinking that all of us could find someone or when people come our way, we could be opening the door for them, perhaps more effectively, more often. Or in a better way. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. I sure have. So let's listen in. Hey, this is Sue, and we are on another episode of our Bringing Women into Construction series. And this has been such a fun series because I'm getting to meet such awesome women who are working in the industry, and many of them are very passionate about bringing more women into the industry. And that is our guest today, who she and her husband are both passionate about bringing more women into our industry. So welcome, everyone, please, Kelly Lee. Hi, Sue, thanks so much for having me. Well, thank you for being here. I really, really appreciate it. Uh, I know I've heard from others about, oh, you've got to talk to Kelly because she's really, really excited about bringing women into construction. So tell me a little bit about maybe your experience with the industry,
0: and then we can talk about more about why you're so fired up. Sure. Happy to. So I have been in the construction industry on the software side for the last decade. Um, I started my career at Procore, um, which is you know the kind of world known now uh, construction management platform based here in Santa Barbara, California. So I was at Procore for about six and a half years, um, kind of seeing a a new number of roles and really getting to interact with construction executives all across the spectrum. Um, And since leaving Procore in June of 2020, I have visited several different smaller construction tech startups um, in the industry. So everything from the reality capture with Struction site to workforce management at Bridget, and now with change order risk capture at Xtracker.
1: I think that's so exciting. And uh, later on, I want to make sure we go back to that and talk more about the perspective you have, because it always fascinates me to watch and see the trends as Tech evolved because, as tech goes, sort of everyone, everything follows that. Mm-hmm. So I want to make sure we touch base by that. But let's go back to why and how did you become so passionate about making sure that
0: girls see construction as a possibility for their careers? Yeah. So my passion for women in construction and you know the industry's diversity and inclusion efforts really started when I was at Procore. And a good friend of mine, Danielle Edberg, who was also at Procore with me, um, launched Procore's Women in Construction program. And that was everything from events where we would host in different cities with customers um, and, you know, just different women across the spectrum of being in the field, in the office, to have a common Language and discussion about what it's like to be women in this industry and how do you advance your career, just having like really open and frank conversations amongst trusted peers. Uh, So that's where like my fire and my passion for advancing women in construction really comes from is the work that I got to do with Danielle, you know, in 2015, 2016. And that really took on another layer and another level of passion when my husband and I had our first daughter. Um, August of 2020. Um, We were fortunate that, you know, we're able to bring her into this world. And it was really my husband who does bedtime every night, which is, I feel like, not a common thing in most families. You know, parents kind of split the duties. But my husband really took it on himself. And he does bedtime every night. And he reads her these stories. And one night um, after he read one of her favorite books, which is called Good Night Stories for Rebel Girls... He came to me and was like, why can't we write or give our daughter, AJ, a version of this book, but about construction? Um, My husband's also in the construction technology space. He has been a part of my like women in construction journey, the conversations I have. And he now being a father to this young girl was like, we need to do more so that she knows the possibilities are literally endless. So that is where my recent passion and my recent project that we're going to talk about really comes from is from my daughter inspiring my husband, who really got me fired up.
1: I just think that's so awesome. Think about that, that it's really your husband thinking about wanting his daughter to have those possibilities. I mean, we want that for all of our children, of course. But years ago, a really dear friend of mine, she'd written a whole bunch of books, and she had lived in Europe for, I think, about 22 years at the time. And she was the head of the Girl Scouts of Europe. And they were doing this retreat over the weekend. And this one little girl came up while she was talking about what girls could do and what girls' c- careers could look like. And this one little girl came up to her afterwards and said, are you telling me that girls could be the president of the United States? All, and then all the girls chimed in and go, really? A girl could be the president of the United? They didn't know. And this wasn't that many years ago. And, and she actually wrote a whole book on it. Like, yes. A girl can become president. (laughs) And so there's a lot of paradigms that have to shift Mm -hmm. uh, for everyone. And so so tell us about the book that you're working on, you and your husband.
0: Yeah. So in essence, um, we want to tell the stories of the incredible and powerful women who are on our job sites who build the built world that we interact with every day. And over my career, I've had the ability to meet so many influential women, um, women like Nancy Novak at Compass Data Centers, Kaylee Learman schmidt at Hensel Phelps, and like the list goes on. And I've met so many of them. And they all have this inspiring story to tell and how they're breaking different glass ceilings and different barriers. And we wanted to, again, selfishly for our daughter translate their stories and their experiences into something that we could share with her. And as we started to like write this all down, we realized this is more than just stories for our daughter. This is stories for our entire industry. And then taking it one step further, it's stories for the children of the world. That's cool.
1: So, do you have like a little
0: thumbnail of one or two of the stories you could maybe share with everyone? I can summarize them. So essentially, there are one page short stories about different um different women, and we're doing a series um based off a of role. So we've completed our superintendent series, which are five short stories of incredible superintendents. Um, and so one that we did was with was was on Cabri who was at Hensel Phelps um, out of Seattle. And in it, she talks about how she had a love for engineering and didn't know what, you know, what could she pursue beyond what she knew of engineering? How could she put it to, um, put it to practical use? And that's where some, that's when someone she knew recommended, why don't you think about construction? It might be something, you know, worth, worth considering. And I don't know how many years later, she's this influential superintendent and speaker on neurodivergency and LGBTQ plus in, um, inclusivity. And so I will also include or I'll share with you for the show notes, the link to the website that you can you know read these stories as well.
1: Oh, that'd be awesome. Thank you. So do you have an anticipated sort of published time or
0: time frame? So like all good projects, we keep, uh, keep um, having a little bit of scope creep, but our goal is to, um, by the end of the calendar 2023 year, is at least have all of our stories available online, because we want to make this as accessible as possible to, to, all, you know, to all readers. Um, and then hopefully we'll have some path to publishing a like, hard copy book by the end of the year. So our goal is to at least initially have them be available online so we can start to really gain excitement and traction behind it. And then my our ultimate goal is to really reach the tradespeople and the tradeswomen, the pipe fitters and the welders and the master carpenters, because that is, as you know, like we have such a labor shortage, not just in construction, but if you continue to drill down, like even further in the trades. And there are so many amazing women and people who identify as women in those roles. And we just want to use whatever voice and platform like we have um, to amplify their stories.
1: That's so cool. So I know in, in talking to people and just in watching and being a part of many projects and different groups, what have you seen as the biggest barriers for girls or women to enter our industry.
0: I'm not reinventing the wheel here at Procore Groundbreak last November. One of their keynote speakers, Rashma Sanjani, actually spoke about this and how from an early age, we as parents, we've taken away their ability to be brave. We tell boys to suck it up and we tell girls, it's okay to be afraid of the dark. Here's a nightlight. And it's really that notion of how do we instill bravery in our children again? How do we instill this willingness to take a risk, take a chance? You always hear the kind of stereotypes of young children who are like, boys are better in math and science. Girls are better in English and history. And a lot of that comes from this ideal of perfectionism that we instill a lot of times in our daughters, whether intentionally or unintentionally. And so I think that has created... A lot of the barriers that we are now feeling the effects of is because 15, 20, 30 years ago, the parents of those children did the things that Rashma talked about, told their daughters that if you're afraid of the dark, here's a nightlight versus helping them understand that being afraid is okay. And here's how we become braver and take chances and, and, you know, learn how to make mistakes and being perfect is not everything. And that has, you know, I think shifted women into career paths and career options that are potentially less physical like construction and less, you know, cha- maybe like challenging, not the right word, but less physically arduous or more working with their hands um, that you see a lot in their trades. And so I think that's where the barriers came from, from a like, Socioeconomic standpoint. But then beyond that, that has continued to create this gender gap in construction. So when I, even if I have exposure of construction in the trades, because I look at a job site and it's 90, 95% male, even if I'm interested in carpentry or interested in operating an excavator or a crane, whatever it might be because i don't see myself on that job site i don't think it's possible for me and so i think the lack of representation combined with how a previous generation unintentionally you know created this wedge we've created these artificial barriers for a sector of our population that is so capable of contributing so much more than they have been told they can
1: Yeah, just it's the norms of the times, Mm -hmm. uh, determine roles. And, uh, you know, I've watched it from my grandmother, who was because she was a girl was not allowed to go to school. So she sat on the edge of the classroom window and listened in. And that's how she learned how to read and write. So, it, but it was a norm of the time. Boys needed to go to school, girls didn't. In fact, even when I went to college, uh, it was okay to pay for my brother to go to college, but not okay to pay for me to go to college. And of course, when I became the executive director as a woman in 1980 for a construction trade association, that was like pretty unheard of at the time. Yeah. Uh, there weren't as many opportunities. There were very much w- male and female roles in work, and jobs followed that way. So construction has been in the, a male industry, and uh, just like um, the army was, and firefighting was, and policing was, and now it's time for it to become more open to everyone. But as you were just pointing out, that's two two barriers. One is the psychological barrier, the norm, and what we think is possible. And the other one is inside of our own selves, what we think we can do and what's possible. So we've kind of got to overcome both. So the women that come into the industry now are going
0: to have to have a little bit of a pioneering spirit. Yeah, and that's the common theme that we have seen across the short, across the you know the stories we've written so far is every single one of these women is in a leadership role at their organizations, running multi-million dollar, million multi-year projects, and a common theme from all of them was helping their organization overcome the biases and psychological. Doubts they may have about that woman's ability to do that job, and that's that's a common that's a common thread across all of the stories where they were misjudged, they were seen as the marketing the marketing person or someone's assistant, and they had to consistently like break these preconceived notions about. What it looks like for a construction worker and a construction professional on a job site.
1: Hope you're enjoying this show. Every time you and your team step foot onto a construction project, you bring your business culture with you. For any construction project to succeed, there must be a high trust culture. It doesn't matter if you're in planning, design, construction, or startup phases. The more trust you bring and build, the better your results. I've created a free resource for you, the Trusted Leader Profile, so you can know exactly the level of trust you bring to your business and projects and what you can do to boost trust. You can grab that at sudicocom profile. That's S-U. D-Y-C-O dot com slash profile, P-R-O-F-I-L-E. And I hope that you'll remember that always high trust equals high performance. And it really depends on you. Now, back to the show. And I would think that these women were working for someone or someplace that at least gave them enough latitude to allow them to do that. yeah, in a lot of places that's, that wouldn't even be the case. You just exactly. you, would, you would get pigeonholed, and that wouldn't wouldn't be really possible. So mm-hmm. you know they, they've they've got to be at least somewhat growth minded, <laughs> yeah, and open to it. so I, I know that you've listened to a lot, studied this a lot, and uh, what ideas do you have for employers or maybe even the unions? Um, or the training establishment for the trades uh, on how to help them bring in more women, because for a lot of the unionized workers, that's where they
0: need to enter in. And uh, so got any thoughts on that? Yeah. And I'm by no means an expert in, you know, union versus non-union labor. But I think at the highest level, the largest general contractors and owners of the, of you know, of construction have to really lead by example. And I think you are seeing that at least at the highest level of the GC market with Mortensen, DPR, McCarthy, Turner, to name a few who've come together for construction inclusion week, just like safety has its own week. Now, so does inclusion and diversity. And I think through efforts like that and the commitment, the loud commitment, not just to... The industry, but to their employees that they are taking diversity to heart and it's not just a vanity metric. I think that is going to have repercussions and echoes felt up and down the value chain in construction. And, you know, uh, of course, in Mortenson and in McCarthy have infinitely more resources than that small union shop um, that really is struggling to bring in new workers, new talent um, into their organizations. But I think. If the leaders are in our industry are pointing in the direction they want everyone to go, you have no choice but to follow. They, you know, but I think this notion of a rising tide lifts all boats. I think that holds so true in this industry, and we're starting to see these slow cultural shifts that general contractors are making to make their workplaces more inclusive um, of both women and people of different backgrounds and, you know, histories and work experiences. And I think as that level of diversity continues to permeate, again, like down the value chain, you'll I think they have the ability to set the example and provide echoes of what the training can look like. And that is how um, I think these smaller, you know, organizations are really able to change their culture and change the perception and perspective that the broader public has of construction um and then beyond that i know we've talked about this before but what the training programs like the ace mentorship program and the various organizations that you know contractors have in their communities are great but it needs to start even younger it needs to start when young children are exploring and learning math and science for their first time. And to understand how that can be applied into something like building and engineering. I mean, every child gets hundreds of Lego kits. It doesn't matter if you're a boy or a girl, you're going to get Legos at some point in time. And the fact of the, you know, the act of stacking Legos one on top of the other, that is like a rudimentary version of construction. I mean, Procore built a, Lego board game to teach kids in school what construction is and how to work as a project manager and a superintendent on a job site. And so we have to introduce the concept of construction and the different roles that you can play in this industry to children, you know, in elementary school. By the time they get to high school, they have some Preconceived notion on what they want to do. I want to be a doctor or a lawyer or an architect. But I think we have to reach them before they have that like voice in their head and that inkling of what they think they want to do.
1: Yeah, I, I think that that's really smart that we do it at a really young age. It just gets blended in because I can remember my son that are wanting to be a fireman for the longest time. You know? <laughs>
0: Well, because think Um, about career day, right? You have kids, you have a career day, and a, a kid brings in their parent who's a doctor, and a kid brings in their parent who's a firefighter. But not often do we bring in our parents who are a foreman on a job site or a superintendent. At least I never saw that in my childhood growing up. Had I been exposed, I would have asked questions What do they do? Why are they wearing that hat? And I would have looked at my environment differently.
1: Yeah. And I also think that a lot of people in the industry, because it's so large and it's so segmented that they don't really see the whole picture of the industry to see that the built environment is society. That when you're in
0: construction, you are building society. I think that's... Such and it's an observation that I have really come to like understand and like tangibly feel over the past, you know, over the past decade, but like more recently over the past five years because I've done home renovations. Our street has been repaved, and having worked in construction tech and you know alongside, you know, you name the largest GC, I've probably met them. I have this innate curiosity for okay, there's a pothole in the road. I wonder which general contractor or which, you know, paving contractor is going to come out to fix that. Oh, there's a, there's a you know, for development site here. I wonder what they're going to build. People forget. And I think we've seen this in society with, you know, the infrastructure bill. We all talk about the roads and the airports and the bridges and wireless, you know, internet and et cetera, et cetera. But we just assume that these things show up (laughs) somehow, somewhere, and not realizing that there are like men and women behind these projects that they are conceiving in some room right now, the designs for the next airport that we're going to fly through, or the next school we're going to, you know, attend, or the next hospital I'll have, I'll have a procedure. And I, I'm hyper aware of all the like, construction and construction adjacent things that happen in society because I've been in this space for a decade and I think we need to shift society needs to shift its perspective on what construction is and that it is literally all around it is always happening it is never done our when my daughter was really little, you know, I mentioned our road was being repaved. And there was one morning and I saw the the crew right outside our gate and I took her out there. And I just kind of eavesdropped because they were having their toolbox talk right out front of our, our front gate. And they were like, Oh, do you need to get out? And I was like, No, I'm just showing our daughter that you guys are doing your toolbox talk. And I think they were stunned that I was a showing my like two and a half month old daughter, what they were doing, but that I knew what a toolbox talk was, you know, And so um, it is literally everything you engage with and everything you touch. Um, One of the things that has always stuck out to me is when Procore opened um, their world headquarters down in Carpinteria in kind of Santa Barbara region, some of the interior, like architecture and design, was left somewhat raw and exposed. And the intention was to show the Engineers, the salespeople, the so customer support reps, anyone who worked at ProCore, that construction is not an end product. Construction is ever evolving. It is always happening. And even when you see a campus that's technically like built and it's done and occupied, someone is creating a punch list for someone to go through and remedy. Like there's always something happening. Like I have a punch list going on for my you know, quote, unquote, completed house. And so it's, you know, always, it's always present. I think we tend to forget that.
1: I think the other thing that we are going to see evolve over the next decade quite dramatically, which kind of marries your technology with the built environment with Web Mm 3.0 you're going to have the built environment be interacting with you as you're walking through it much more. I mean, we see this now with d- virtual design and construction, but as it becomes more uh, mainstream, uh, it's going to be even more. I know when I work on uh, building projects or I work on uh, the highway projects, I mean, so much of the technology is now put in there in sensors and and uh Technology and AI that uh, is predicting things and um interacting with people So that's going to be that's going to really marry technology completely with construction it's going to be pretty awesome so I'm looking forward to that so I really do want to take a minute and talk yeah. a little bit about technology and your perspective on technology because I see and watch all the new technology emerge and I I see the generals uh playing with it and seeing what they can do with it. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't work out. But uh, what do you see as maybe trends and what's on the horizon? And what are things that you think are like becoming really core technology, every construction company needs to have? And what are the things that you think are coming?
0: So I think from a core, everyone is going to have this. It's project management, right? I mean... Twenty plus years ago, when Tui and Steve were tinkering with the idea of Procore, and Tui was viscerally living the experience of building his home and not understanding what was happening on a job site a day to day basis, when they started, it was when Tui started Procore. It was they were literally installing wi- like wireless modems on job sites. People could understand what they were even talking about. And fast forward twenty plus years, and it, every, G, every general contractor, every specialty contractor has adopted some level of project management technology, whether it's Procore or Autodesk. It's kind of table thick at this point. If you're not doing it, you're going to be left behind. You're going to be in the past. Um, and I think from like what's coming... My current CEO, Cameron Page at X Tracker, he thinks of technology as peaks and potholes. At the peak, you have AI, you have reality capture, you have things that are thinking about what are the 18 permutations to our schedule we could have if we change one supplier. And you're seeing that with, and you're seeing the larger general contractors, the most innovative ones really adopting that technology because they're always the one pushing, pushing the envelope and They've always been the ones that have innovation departments and um, were the ones that adopted VDC and BIM before everyone else did. So you have those peaks. You have these really innovative technologies that are making individuals more efficient, that are challenging how you think about how you can do something. No longer do you have a project engineer or an intern walking a 30,000 square foot arena taking photos. You have... A three hundred and sixty camera, so that's at the peak. And at the potholes, you have the manual processes that, no matter what happens on a job site, no matter what happens in your life, they just have to get done. Payroll has to get has to be made. You have to submit your change order request. You have to push through your HR hiring forms, whatever it might be. And some of those processes haven't really seen any digitization in the past 5-10 years, because everyone seems to focus on the big, shiny peak of technology. But the pothole is really where I think there's the most opportunity to gain efficiency, make your existing employees more efficient, happy, and capitalize the time they already have on your projects. So for the X-Tracker, for example, no longer is a PM having to track down 30 plus COR logs in each of their trade partners. It's all digitally available for them in Tracker, where they can get that digital COR log that they can then reconcile against their project financials. And we're seeing contractors save eight hours a week on, you know, this manual process and eight hours a week That may be from their weekend. That may be from their evening. So what are they getting? They're getting quality of life back. And then going back to the beginning of our conversation, the culture in construction is starting to shift where the culture on your job site is important. The culture and the values and the benefits you provide to your, your employees is important. And it's not just, hey, the paycheck you get at the end of the month is your reward. It's these intrinsic and sometimes intangible benefits, like eight hours back in your week, which came from your weekend, getting that back, what does that mean? Um, and so I think that's, that's what I'm excited to see is what other kind of potholes of, of technology or potholes of construction will we see technology start to digitize and companies start to adopt?
1: I love that idea of the potholes because it also applies to small companies. Mm-hmm. It isn't just any company, it's small. Plus, you end up getting then a record that you're not looking through files for and boxes of
0: things and trying to figure out where it is. Binders. Exactly. You On look binders, at, shelves of binders. <laughs> like in our E&R top 100 company, like everyone is managing towards a bottom line or a board of directors and but at the end of the day, an know, top 100 company has more resources than that small union shop in your, in your backyard that you have, you know, done business with. Like They don't have the luxury of time, the people or the capital to be combing through email to find, you know, a COR log or the time to drive TNM tickets back to an office. And so the amount of, if you can make those organizations more efficient, they're able to work, I think, and I believe more efficiently and better on your job site, ultimately providing you with a better end product, which in like the cyclical nature of construction, wins them more business again and again with that general contractor, keeps that business alive. And then they have the opportunity to hire more diverse talent versus an organization that has spent all their time and resources on really manual processes, can't staff, can't meet project deadlines, is over budget, and, and 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 is no longer in business and doesn't have the opportunity to hire a diverse workforce.
1: Yeah, now I see one of the challenges is just the smaller companies having access to knowing what makes sense for them. I think there's going to be a whole level of consultants, and maybe there already are, that help translate what could work for you, but not overkill, but not underkill. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Well, what parting advice can you offer to construction folks, to the unions, to the designers out there, maybe construction managers, tradespeople on, you know, what they might do to bring more women in, or just any advice you might
0: have for them. This is like the hardest question I've ever been asked. Um, I, have, I think I have two pieces of, of advice. And I think it is, if you're not holding the door open for someone else, you're blocking the door for them. And I mean that to say that every person that I have met in this industry has always been willing to help and willing to lift pe- lift someone else up. And those people have been the ones who have hold, held the door open for the next person, the next woman, the next, you know, young college grad or the, you know, young whoever, what am I, you know, fill in the blank. They've held that door open and given someone the opportunity and the chance. And I think if we all in the industry are able to hold that door open, we will make and leave this industry a better place than, than we left it. And the second piece of advice is, I think, you know. At mid 2020, the note, the concept, and the discussion around implicit bias became, you know, it took over the nation with like a firestorm. And I think we've all collectively done a lot of work towards addressing our own implicit biases about people that we engage with, people in our lives and our families and, you know, our communities. But I think that work has to continue. Um, And I'll share a, a quick story, but My husband is a cisgender white male, and he was always of the belief that if you work hard, you will get what you are deserved. And it was through this project, writing these stories and interviewing these women where he realized it is still not the case. There are not enough people who are willing to open that door for that woman, for that young mother, for that person who doesn't have the pedigree that says they deserve that job. Because there aren't people willing to open that, it doesn't matter how hard someone is working, that door is is still being shut in their face because of an implicit bias they hold. And so I think we all have to continue to do that self-discovery and that self-work to ensure that we are not looking at women or girls as less than, but really as an opportunity to learn a different perspective.
1: I think that is. I love the visual of if you're not opening the door, you're you're really closing the door on them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that, and I uh, hope everyone out there in construction world will think about that, and uh, we'll see who who comes into your world that maybe you could open the door for. I mean, it yeah. just takes just takes one person to do it with one person, and then another person, and that's that's how it
0: will grow. And like a really tangible like example, and, and then I know we, you know, we have to wrap up is at least on the technology, you know, the tech world side, we're seeing all of these layoffs. And I saw someone post this on LinkedIn today and I thought it was so poignant. And it said, if a recruiter reaches out to you about a potential job, but you are not fit for it, recommend someone else's name. And just that sheer act of this isn't my opportunity, but I know someone who needs to get brought into that door, give them that shot. Yeah. I just love that. So we're
1: going to leave you with that visual today. Construction nation It's time to open the door for someone who is in your sphere of influence and let them in so that you can help uh, take them to the next level or mentor them, whatever, whatever it might be. So I appreciate that. Thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate you're welcome. Any time and I can't wait to, uh, to read the book.
0: Yes. And you can find our book and our story and why we're doing this in any ways to get involved at whatshebuilt.com.
1: Whatshebuilt.com. Yes. Okay. We'll put that in the show notes too. Thank you so much. Thank you, so. Thank you for the opportunity. Well, we look forward to uh, to seeing more from you too. I know this is just the beginning of
0: your path. Oh, thank you so much. Take care, Kelly. Okay. Bye,
1: Sue. Okay, Construction Nation. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Lead with Trust. Will you do me a favor? If you think this episode can help anyone on your team or business, please forward it to them. Please subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And your honest review, hopefully five stars, is much appreciated. Every leader who learns how to build their business and projects on a foundation of trust is going to reap the rewards of greater productivity, attracting the best of the best, enjoying your business more, and doing things you thought were impossible. If you want to know where you are in your trusted leader journey, I have a free resource for you. Please just go to sudico.com profile, s dot profile. And you can grab it there and find out where you are on your trusted leader journey. And so that is a wrap for today. Can't wait until I get a chance to hang out with you again next week. And until then, have a great day.